From the EPR Creation Studio, this is Jason Staples bringing you Unconquered with Doc Staples. That again would be me, the football doctor, as you might say. <laughs> as always, this podcast brought to you by EPR Creations, bringing you the best of internet development and website marketing for an affordable price. Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida. Shenandoah Real Estate in the Research Triangle. And Garage Makeovers, the number one garage remodeling company in South Florida. Doing just fine coming into this, uh, rolling into this preview. Looking at Florida State's defensive front on this preview. I do actually have a couple of uh, of minor things that I'd forgotten, or I've got one correction from a for, from an earlier podcast. I misspoke when I was talking about uh, about. Uh, Trey Benson against different fronts. My sense last year is that he he did better typically against even fronts rather than odd fronts, and I inverted that when I said it. So correct that. Uh, and then uh, secondly, uh, I wanted to include this in the receiver uh, preview, but I forgot, and that's just you know, I've I've been uh, I've been doing a whole lot of a whole lot of other stuff. But one interesting thing to to look at in terms of the overall efficiency level of a wide receiver in in terms of how how much he brings to the table is to look at number of yards per route run on the season. So this isn't yards per target, this isn't yards per uh per reception, this is yards per route run. So he so this receiver being on the field how many yards per route run? Last year the number one in the country on this with 30 touches was Squirrel White, wide receiver from Tennessee. Number three was Jalen Hyatt from Tennessee at 3.52 for, for Hyatt, 68, 68 touches in, those, in, the, in that context. Number two last year, number two in the nation in most yards per route run was Johnny Wilson from Florida State at 3.55 yards per route run. You look at this top at this top 5. You look at the at the group and and first of all these are all from pretty good passing offenses as a rule minus well I guess one is an outlier here. Uh, Trey Palmer from Nebraska is number 4. But essentially your top 9 are the only guys in the country who are above 3. Johnny Wilson was at 3.55 to be number 2. So Squirrel White, Tennessee, Johnny Wilson, Florida State, Jalen Hyatt, Tennessee, Trey Palmer, Nebraska, Marvin Harrison Jr., Ohio State, Dominic Lovett, Missouri, Quentin Johnston, TCU, Amika Egbuka, uh, Ohio State, and Tyler Hudson, Louisville, were the only guys in the country above three yards per uh, route run on the country, or in the country. So you look at some of the others that Florida State played last year. A.T. Perry at 2.76 was up there. Malik Neighbors at 2.68 was up there at 21st uh, relevant to this game, this next game. Aronde Gadsden, at uh, 2.52, coming in at 30th. So a few guys, but that just shows how dominant last year Johnny Wilson was when he was on the field. Pokey Wilson, by the way, was 62nd at 2.27. So pretty good there from Pokey, but that shows how dominant Johnny Wilson was in Florida State's offense last year. And again, I think we're going to see Keon Coleman with a comparable number this year in this offense, which is which is wild. 
All right, so let's go ahead and move forward. Look at the, now that that stuff's out of the way, let's look at Florida State's defensive front and preview that. And there's actually a lot to talk about here because there's there's a lot that has changed in terms of the defensive line from last year, and it needed to. So again, not to steal the thunder of my upcoming overall preview, but I I believe that Florida State has a national championship caliber offense this season. How far this team goes is going to deter, is going to depend on the defense. I think the offense, you pair them with a with a with a top quality defense, with a you know playoff caliber defense, and this is a this is a national championship team. But there are there were a lot of weaknesses on the on the Florida State defense last year. Specifically once Fabian Lovett went out and when Lovett and Cooper were both hurt at, in that three game losing streak, it, it really cost them. And they had some weaknesses on the back end. They gave up some things at that second corner. And they, they never were really fully healthy there. I mean, Jerry and Jones wasn't healthy. Uh, and then, you know, Duke Cooper started the year with a with an ankle injury and then just never really recovered. And, you know, he had some limitations in terms of speed that got exposed more in his second year on the field as well. So speed and, 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 uh, capacity to change direction and all that, which is why they moved him to safety. So Florida state, if you're looking at how they came into this year, they knew, look, if they're going to put all their chips in the middle of the table and they're going to try to win it all this year, be a playoff team or more and more then they were going to need to make some serious changes. They needed to, to have some serious upgrades at what their weaknesses were. And the primary weakness last year, and the one that stood out the most, and it specifically was exposed, like I said, in the three-game losing streak, was that they they were soft on the inside, specifically when Fabian Lovett was not on the field. Now, this goes back to something that you know I, I mentioned before, and David David Hale and I on Twitter went back and forth on this as well. Uh, this is something. I mean, David Hale pointed this out. Last year, with Fabian Lovett on the field for 193 snaps, and that included some bad teams that also included LSU in the first game and included a little bit of some good teams at the end there as well. 193 snaps, 3.37 yards per play, 3.18 yards per run, and an 11.5% sack rate. Okay? Without Lovett on the field. So for 670 snaps without him on the field last year, Florida State was gave up 5.27 yards per play. That's over and that's almost two full yards more per play. 4.82 yards per rush as opposed to 3.18 and then a 9.9% sack rate instead of an 11 and a half. That's an enormous difference. And then I added to that there's another really interesting number Florida State's defensive success rate on the year overall with Fabian Lovett on the field, 63.4%, which is absolutely elite. Like that's top five type stuff with Lovett not on the field, 54.4%, which is pretty average. So 54% defensive success rate with Fabian Lovett not on the field, 63.4% with him on the field. And, you know, I, I went and I tweaked some of these numbers as well. I just wanted to see 
how this would actually work. And, you know, I, I wanted to see like, okay, what, what, what did it look like when both Lovett and Cooper were on the field together versus, you know, neither guy on the field, some of that stuff. And I was a little surprised because it turned out pretty much all of the effect was Lovett rather than the, rather than the combination of them. So when you had Lovett and Cooper on the field, it was an overall 66% defensive success rate compared to, again, with Lovett off the field, with just Lovett off the field, that drops to 54.4. So with Lovett and Cooper both, 66% overall defensive success rate versus 54.4 without Lovett. And then with both of those guys on the field, on third down, Florida State's defensive success rate was 75.9%. Which is, again, that is elite. With Lovett not on the field, 61%. Third down uh, success rate. So that just goes to show how critically important Fabian Lovett was to last year's team. And it shows you where they had significant problems in terms of depth on that defense. He was a guy they could not not have on the field. By the way, defensive success rate last year with Robert Cooper on the field, but Fabian Lovett off the field was 46%. So they were actually worse with just Robert Cooper on the field and not Lovett than they were with Cooper and Lovett off the field. And I think that had something to do with basically Lovett being able to supplement what Cooper could do well. Cooper was more of an anchor on the interior, but he, because he was not as, as mobile, you know, he's not as quick in, in certain respects. As soon as Lovett was not there to, to provide that compliment, he actually became a weakness for the defense. And if you look at it last year, the problem was going into the season. If you look at if you look at the, at the weaknesses going into the season, they had some concerns in terms of where they were with the overall defensive tackle depth. And this was a known concern going into the season. I mean, they went into the season last year and their four defensive tackles going in was Lovett, Cooper, Malcolm Ray, and Jarrett Jackson. That's who they had. And when Jackson came on the field, you'd get, you know, a nice burst here and there, but he was, you know, very inconsistent and ultimately was became a weakness. And Ray, just in terms of being asked to play as many snaps as he did with Lovett out, he just was not strong or big enough to hold up on that. And then after that, you were down to freshmen. That, that, that was a problem. So once Lovett went out, they just didn't have the top end talent for teams not to be able to run the football on them last year. So they knew that coming into the into this season that look if if you're going to be able to to beat these teams if you're going to be able to win against the teams that you're going to need to be able to win against to 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 meet your goals you're going to have to go ahead and upgrade that position and they did they landed the top defensive tackle transfer in the country in Braden Fisk who honestly has been better than I expected when they brought him on I thought he was going to be a you know really good pass rush type option from the interior, somebody who could swing both inside and outside a little bit and be a nice supplementary piece on the defensive line. High energy, high motor guy with some quickness, but probably not really able to anchor as much. Wasn't sure how strong he was. 
And then he came into camp and yeah, the high energy quickness, all that stuff is there, but he anchors much better than I thought. He's a good player. He's not, he's not a complimentary piece. He's a feature piece. And then you add him to other feature pieces with, with Fabian Lovett and Jared verse and, and, you know, Patrick Payton becomes sort of a, a supplemental piece there that starts to look really, really good. So Fisk alone. Now you, you basically, instead of having Cooper and, and love it, you have Fisk in, in place of, of Cooper. Okay. Well, that's good. That's, I think that's an upgrade. Now, the unfortunate thing is they also added Daryl Jackson and it doesn't look like they're going to have him. If you add Daryl Jackson to the mix. So if this changes and the, and the NCAA decides to do the right thing here and Daryl Jackson gets his appeal, wins his appeal in the, with the NCAA in terms of, of not getting his waiver to play. If Daryl Jackson is eligible for this season and he becomes the third guy in that rotation where you have Lovett, Fisk and Jackson. Now that group of three, I think gives you arguably the top, defensive tackle group in the, in the ACC. And I don't think you're any worse than third. If you're not the top, you're right there with Clemson. You're right there with, I think Miami's up there, you know, Pittsburgh will have a say here. There's some good defensive lines in the, in the ACC, but I think you're right there, right at the very top with Daryl Jackson. And I think you've got a a defensive line that is on the level with everyone that you're playing on your uh, defensive tackle group. That's on the level with everybody you're playing on your schedule. And with, you know, you put both Jackson and Lovett out there and you're just not going to get run on between the guards and between the tackles is going to be hard. But doesn't look like Jackson will be available, you know, hold out maybe a little hope. Maybe the NCAA sees sees this and, and does it does the right thing, given all the political pressure and other things. But you don't you don't know. Either way, you've got a now more advanced and and better physically prepared Josh Farmer who's ready to Farmer is a is a significant upgrade over Jarrett Jackson from last year. So Fisk is an upgrade over Cooper, Farmer is an upgrade over Jackson and both of those by a good bit. And then Malcolm Ray is still on the on the roster. But it tells you something that Malcolm Ray was essentially the number 4 guy Maybe the number, I think, I think really he was the number three guy in the defensive tackle rotation last year. And now I think question is, where is he in in your rotation? Is he number six? Because I think at, at one defensive tackle right now, without, without Daryl Jackson, just assuming Daryl Jackson doesn't play. And again, let's hope that's not the case, but you've got Fabian Lovett and Josh Farmer as your one, two at one spot. And then Fisk and Brent and Briggs. I think Dennis Briggs, first of all, Briggs coming back and being a uh, being much healthier after getting cheap shotted a couple of years ago. I don't remember who that was. Is that uh, Louisville or Wake Forest or whatever? I think it was a Louisville game. Uh, he was not quite the same player last year. He's regained some of that burst. So now instead of Malcolm Ray being your fourth guy and a guy that by the time you get to the Wake Forest game last year, he was your number two guy this year. I think he might be your number six guy, maybe your number five guy. Either way, he's not, he's not being asked to play as many reps as he did last year. So, you know, you look at your top four without Jackson out there and you've got Fisk, Briggs, Lovett and Farmer, or if you want to do it in order, Lovett, Fisk, 
Farmer and Briggs. And then, you know, you've got, you've got Daniel Lyons, who's made some progress there now that he's been in the program a little bit. You've got AOT Fase, who is, you know, is another huge body, very powerful athlete who can come in and again, not get pushed around. And then you can use Ray, who's more of a quickness guy and, and let him be a rotational player, which he really should be and use that quickness to its full effect. So now you're you're actually deep enough on the inside that that you can absorb the usual in-season stuff. Now, look, if Fabian Lovett gets hurt again, that's still a huge, enormous problem for Florida State. They do need to stay healthy inside in order to, to really have the best shot at at ac- accomplishing their their goals. But that's true for everybody. What you do like is you feel like on the interior last year, you felt really good about one and pretty good about two. And then three and four were question marks, especially given size and inconsistency from Jackson, uh, the inconsistency on Jackson's part and size on, on Ray's part. And you don't have those questions with the guys behind Fisk and Lovett this year. You've got guys that are big. You've got guys that have played some football and and can and are capable of coming in and and not having a, an enormous drop off that in that in itself is going to make a big difference for this defense and if if you if you have florida state in the playoff this year i think anybody that has florida state in the playoff is looking at that offense and going they're going to score a ton of points but the thing that that you've got to be looking at and saying okay this is why this is the other reason they'll get there it's because you feel better about them just not being not allowing teams to line up and run it between the tackles on them like they did last year against better teams you know florida did it end of the year florida was able to bully that that defensive line a little bit last year you've got a banged up verse you know those guys were just not the the lack of size and depth on the defensive line caught up to them so at the defensive tackle spot, you feel like this without Jackson is still top quartile in the ACC, probably top four. Or so top five, I'd say top four in terms of your defensive tackles. And you're going to get some big plays out of those guys. And with Lovett on the field, you're going to be really formidable against teams that, that want to run the football between the tackles. And you've got enough guys that with depth that can come in and not have an enormous drop-off. Now, the thing is, for Lovett, as I've said before, you really only want him to to get big reps in about four games. And I'm not sure how many reps he's going to really be ready for in, in the LSU game. That is a concern. But you really only need him to be that dude in four games, maybe five this year. You need him against LSU. You need him against Clemson. And then... You know, maybe you throw Pitt in there, but I think, you know, defense, defense is not really as much of the concern against Pitt. The concern is, you know, Pitt's offense there, but you're, they're going to, they're going to run the football. They're going to be physical. So maybe there. And then I think Miami and Florida are the other two. So at, at, you know, I think five games maybe are the games where you're really concerned if you don't have an anchor on the interior. The rest of the games, you, you maybe play them 15, 20 snaps, keep them fresh enough. And then, you know, all right, son. Sit down on the bench, or grandpa, I guess, by this point. He's been in the program long enough, been in college football long enough, grandpa. So that's where you are. Now, the edge position is, again, I think a good bit better than it was last year. Last year, you went into the into the season, and obviously you had Verse. And now Verse is a better player now than he was last year. So, so that's good. But obviously you had Verse, and then you had 
opposite him, you had Derek McClendon and Leonard Warner and Patrick Payton. And, you know, Byron Turner played in three games. Outside of that, you had, you know, George Wilson played in three games. Dante Anderson played in three games. Hester, those guys all played in three games. But what you got last year was a lot of Derek McClendon. McClendon actually played the most snaps of this guy, of this group, interestingly. I'm looking at it right now. McClendon played 533 snaps. Next most was Verse at 412, and he was, you know, on one leg for about half of that. And then next most was Peyton at 367. So really, those were your three. And then Leonard Warner gave you 300. And those are pretty good snaps. He had, a, he had a good year last year, actually. Graded out at 73.5 from Pro Football Focus. That's a good year for a guy that was being doubted by a lot of the fan base going into the season. But of those guys, Verse obviously graded out the highest, then Warner, then Peyton, then McClendon. And McClendon played the most. But that was your four. Come back into this year. Okay, verse and verse. All right, fine. But Peyton being a good bit bigger, more prepared to to play at this level after a season of of uh, working his way into the starting lineup or at least into the uh, into the starting rotation, I should say. Ready to go. He's he's ready for a breakout season. Feel good about those two being essentially a little better than they were last year at the, at the starters. And then you add Edmund instead of McClendon. And I think Edmund is a, is, is an upgrade there over McClendon and then Turner actually healthy this year. So you got four that you feel good about now. You know, the question is, do you feel better about Turner than, than, uh, than say Leonard Warner last year? I'm not sure about that. Just again, you're not clear that Turner Turner's been bitten by the injury bug every year. He's been at Florida State so far. So there are some questions here. I mean, this is one of those positions where you feel really good about your top two. Feel pretty good about your number three guy in Edmund. I think he's going to be a better player than a lot of folks think. He played a lot of snaps last year for, for South Carolina and handled himself pretty well. So I don't think there's a drop-off between Edmund and McClendon. But the real question here is, can you find the fourth guy? Is Turner going to be at least equivalent to what you got from Leonard Warner? That's really what you're, what you're asking. And he's got more physical, you know, he's got more burst. He's got a little bit more explosiveness, a lot more explosiveness. He could be a more, a, a splashier player, but can he be as good as Warner was last year? Last year, they had four reliable edges. This year, you go in pretty sure you got three. But the fourth one is a little bit more of a question mark. So if you got a question mark on this defensive front, it's at that fourth edge position. You still you're still trying to figure out who who that guy is going to be. You know, Jaden Jones. You know, what, what are you going to get from him coming off the knee injury? What what I've seen of him, he looks like an absolute dude, but he also looks like he's you know still he's still learning how to play the position. This is really his first opportunity to try to play this position. So at least that, you know, he's, he's, he's played it at earlier levels, but he's not had, he's not played big boy football like this. So on still on the recovery path, I'm not sure how much you expect from him, especially early in the year. Question is what you're, what are you going to get from that? That four, your top four, who I think, you know, who they are, what are you going to get from the backups? Cause I think, you know, what you're going to get from verse and Peyton. Now, the, the interesting factor here is of course, Fisk can slide outside as can Dennis Briggs. And I think we'll see some of that. 
So against teams that want to run the football on you a little bit more, now, and this would have been a lot easier with Daryl Jackson eligible, and again, you hope maybe that changes. Maybe. Not optimistic, not going to hold my breath. But if if he's on the field, now you go Fisk at one spot, Lovett at the other, Daryl Jackson and Jared Verse, and now you've got an enormous defensive line against teams that want to run the football against you in 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 a lot of contexts. And then you put Peyton on for more uh, pass passing situations, that sort of thing. Or you put now... You put Briggs out there, Fisk, keep Fisk at defensive tackle, or you put Fisk out there and keep Briggs at defensive tackle, or Farmer at defensive tackle. So you might go Fisk, Farmer, Lovett, and Verse. That's still a really big, powerful group. So I think you're going to see some of that. And again, that's some flexibility that they really didn't have last year because Briggs wasn't healthy enough really to do it. And they were so limited in terms of their rotation on the, at the defensive tackle spot that they couldn't rotate anybody out there without really losing on the interior. So now you've got some flexibility. So I think you feel really good about that overall setup from your defensive line. I think you feel like you can stop the run with your defensive line in most games this year. And that really plays into what Adam Fuller, defense coordinator Adam Fuller, has sort of defaulted to the last couple of years, which is his base has always been cover seven. Now, before coming to Florida state, he was pretty blitz heavy. You know, he did, he did change, you know, switch coverages at the, at the snap and, and bring a lot of different kinds of pressures. Very, you know, again, you got to remember Adam Fuller is a, is a Mike Elko disciple. He's kind of running an, he's running Elko's defense basically. And, that's basically where where a lot of that came from. But he ran a more hybrid type look before coming to Florida State with more kind of baked in, built in pressure from different angles. But based on personnel, they've done a lot of different things the last couple of years. But the one thing that they've kept is the base cover seven. And then they, of course, uh, used some cover two man and some other things last year to try to essentially eliminate, limit the the damage on verticals. You know, they wanted to make sure that, that teams didn't beat them over the top. So they were willing to try to stop the run with their with their front, with their front four. And they didn't they weren't they just didn't have the bodies to do it last year against some of the teams that were able to run the football between the tackles against anybody else. And I think this group, especially if they can stay pretty healthy, this group that changes. I, I think it's going to be hard to run the ball between the tackles against Florida State this year. For a couple reasons. One is the, the other reason we'll talk about this in the next in the next show. But the other reason is that I think once you're more confident in your corners, you can start to get those safeties in, involved in the in the uh, in the run game just a little bit more, which is really Fuller's preference has historically been his preference. And you start doing that. And then, you know, you you and you feel like you're not going to get beat over the top at, at the corner spot. Now you can start to to suffocate teams instead of just counting on them not to be able to uh, to score without you know without the big plays well after you've taken the, taken away the big plays so be interesting to see a little bit of the difference in how they employ that this year because i do think they've got a little more baked in flexibility due to some of the upgrades that they've had at the corner position so but again that's that's for next next show so let's move to the linebackers i'm going to include them in the front as well because fsu is going to run a lot of six-man front and and really those those backers are are part of this and again, I think you feel really good. I mean, I, I don't need to spend a whole lot of time on Bethune, Deloach, and Lundy. Everybody watched them last year. I think they are basically who who they were. Uh, Deloach has, I think, made some strides, can continue to grow, and he's the most athletic of that group. 
Bethune was by a good sight, the best backer Florida State not only had last year, but has the best backer Florida State's had on the roster in probably like 10 years. Not an elite athlete, but a guy who understands where the football is going and is regularly there <laughs> and, and makes tackles. And Bethune, you know, of course, just like the entire roster, got banged up at, at Louisville last year and then played with a, with a kind of bum shoulder the rest of the year. He's, he's healthy coming into the year. That's huge. And then Lundy, I think, has made some continued strides. Uh, he and Josh Storms. Josh Storms has done an, a tremendous job with DJ Lundy, getting him continually uh, working on the right things to improve the areas where he was he was not as strong athletically. Now, again, just like with the edge, the real concern here at backer, you feel good about those three. And you're not going to have three on the field a bunch. You will sometimes, but you, you feel pretty good about those three. You feel like that's a upper half of the ACC group. But who's your number four? Who's your number five? You know, is, is Omar Graham going to take that step? I'm not sure. He needs to be. He needs to be the guy. He needs to, to be the guy that, that can be the number four and be reliable. But I'm not sure right now you have a fourth backer that you, that you feel can go in there without there being some drop off. And then I think five and six, you've got Justin Cryer, the the transfer, the freshman transfer from from Northwestern, who every time there's been some sort of set of videos released from practice or whatever, 28 has jumped off the screen to me as a guy who just screams uh, instincts and and good, just good movement within the sort of linebacker confines within his frame you know the, the, the kind of guy that's going to translate to being a, a good backer just really really obvious in how he handles his body how he moves his body in certain cases and then blake nicholson's probably your 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 sixth guy so real question is what are they going to get once they get past deloach bethune and lundy and the thing is those guys i mean you're going to need to develop some guys for next year too but Right now, I think your top two backers probably don't come off the field. Not against LSU, probably not against against Clemson. And against everybody else, you're going to need to start getting Graham, Cryer, Nicholson. Then also, you know, DeMarco Ward, Brian Courtney, Dylan Brown-Turner, all of those guys, a bunch of reps. Because I do think that there is, again, some concern about some depth at, at backer. So whereas on offense, you know, there, I guess you could you could say you could argue that that there's a little concern at, at backup quarterback, and yeah, I mean that's true. There's going to be a drop off from your Heisman Trophy candidate, but that's true for everybody who has one of those guys. But everywhere else on offense, you feel like you've got quality depth and you've got qu- quality players that that you're going to be you're going to be fine. On the defense, there's just you, you feel like you're a body short of that at edge. You feel like you're a body short of that at backer. You know, with Daryl Jackson, you feel like you're a body short of elite at defensive tackle without Daryl Jackson on the field. With Daryl Jackson, I think you are at an elite level in terms of your talent and depth at defensive tackle. Without him, I think you're, again, you're a body short of that. So you just feel like the, the defense has the pieces if everything bounces right and everybody stays healthy to potentially be an elite front when you put all the pieces together. Maybe. But you can't be... 100% confident about it because of injury history with Lovett, because of uh, just overall feeling like you're a body or two short 
at a couple of key positions in terms of the depth needed to feel completely secure. So they need to stay healthy there. Now, in the next show, we're going to talk defensive backs, talk secondary, and then that'll wrap up our position previews. Well, I'll, I'll probably also do uh, special teams a little bit at the end of the next one. And then I'll do the full the full team preview, full season preview before getting ready for the LSU preview as well. Until then, this has been Unconquered with Doc Staples. Thanks for listening. I'd like to thank my advertising partners, EPR Creations, Louis Marquez of Keller Williams Realty in Jacksonville, Florida, Shenandoah Real Estate at ShenRealEstate.com and the Research Triangle of North Carolina, Garage Makeovers in South Florida, and then, of course, if you have not stopped by the Unconquered Podcast shop at UnconqueredPodcast.com, you can buy stickers and all sorts of other gear. Go ahead and do that. Always helps support the podcast. Thanks also to those supporters over at Patreon, where I post video analysis and field questions for the podcast from supporters. I'm especially grateful to those above the dynasty level. That is Andrew Garrett, Brian Leininger, Jonathan Kennedy, Lee Caswell, Travis Smith, Tyler Kashishki, Dave Blair, and Bert Bertoldi. If you've been enjoying this podcast, please leave a five-star rating over at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Post us on social media and tell a friend. This has been the Unconquered Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Staples. Thanks for listening. I made this.